0: I think the biggest thing that I took away from Vector was, it's one of those jobs that you learn about you. You will learn about what you're scared of. You will learn about what you're good at. You will learn about what you're not good at. It forces you to look yourself in the mirror. It forces you to have conversations with yourself and pretty honest conversations with yourself. All these fears that are coming up that you may not have been aware of that you're afraid of, right? All these skills that you didn't know you needed that you don't have.
1: If you look in the mirror after listening to this podcast and have an honest conversation with yourself, here's what you might become aware of. Most of us are pretty good at connecting with people who are just like us. We gravitate towards others who look like us, dress like us, and act like us. But there's immense value in creating diverse communities around us. And there's great power in being able to connect with anyone, anywhere, anytime. Kenny Coleman has that power. Throughout his entire life, Kenny has learned how to bring people together. Through his stories and lessons, you can learn how to establish more diverse connections throughout your workplace and your personal life. I'm very proud to introduce you all today to one of my most trusted and respected friends, Kenny Coleman. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. And hands on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome, everybody. Uh, My guest today is very near and dear to my heart as he started selling Cutco in my own Vector Marketing sales office. And to this day, I consider him to be one of my best friends and one of the people uh, who I respect most in my circle and in this world. It is Kenny Coleman. Kenny uh, was a star football player at Utah State University, and he ultimately came to Cutco after college. Uh, he was the fast start record breaker, sold over $36,000 of Cutco in his first 10 days working in the company. Uh, that record stood for many years. Uh, Kenny advanced into leadership roles with the company, both as a sales rep and in management. He was the division office manager, sort of right-hand person, working with me in 2012 in San Jose. Uh, and eventually, uh, Kenny moved on to other things. And today, he is the director of business development at Jopwell, which is a company that helps underrepresented ethnic minorities to connect with job opportunities and internship opportunities. Kenny. Thank you so much for making time. I've really been looking forward to this interview, and I uh, appreciate you being here on the podcast. I uh,
0: appreciate the kind words, and uh, I'm looking forward to it, Dan. You know, I love talking to you and having a conversation, so it would be good to get this uh, recorded for everybody.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, you know, I mentioned that your Cutco story is a little different than most and that you didn't start out as a college student. I think it'd be great for people to hear a little bit about your background and your path in life before you worked with Vector. So why don't you start with that?
0: Yeah. So I grew up in uh, Los Altos Hills, California, really pretty wealthy neighborhood, only black family, you know, for the most part um, in the area. And, you know, I grew up with two amazing parents, right? That, that were both diverse and big in big corporate America. And so I grew up with a great childhood. I had four uh, brothers, four, four sisters and um, one blood brother. And then I had a second brother that we actually adopted who was my best friend in uh, high school. And so, and so yeah. So I had a pretty close knit family and. Yeah, and then and then it was it was weird. So I so it was a great experience because I was able to kind of live in this in this world of knowing not just black people, but also white people and Asians and all kinds of other cultures and kinda of at an early age, kinda of learning how to uh ingrain myself and, and navigate different groups, right? And so that was actually a blessing now I look at it. It was it was really a blessing. There were some challenges there, but at the end of the day, I think it really helped me with even just my vector opportunity. Because it, again, I was able to navigate with different people and, and adapt very quickly, just from having done it my whole entire life, right? So a lot of my black friends happen to be from East Palo Alto, right? Rougher neighborhoods, right? So I had to learn kind of that environment, how to live and survive in that environment. But also, um, you know, with my white friends or, or Asian friends, right? It was more upper class and and you got to talk a different way and act a different way. And so I learned how to really navigate. So I really enjoy my upbringing based on that experience.
1: Mm, That's pretty cool. That's great. And tell us about uh, your path with football.
0: Football, yeah. So uh, I was a late bloomer. My mom was one of the ones that said, my baby's not playing football. (laughs) No tackle, no hitting, none of that. So uh, I was a basketball player and baseball player and tennis player actually throughout my youth. And it wasn't until my eighth grade year when I first put on the pads for the first time. I played flag and played, you know, in, during lunch with my friends, but not real, with, not with pads <laughs> ever. And so that was my first experience. And I was terrible. I could catch because I was used to catching all the time. But what I could not do was I was not ready to get hit. Uh, that was not fun for me. So <laughs> that first year, I was not very good, but I loved the sport. Uh, Jerry Rice was my idol. And so, and my dad was a huge Niner fan, the Ohio State Buckeye. So football ran thick in my family. And so I was always a huge fan of the game. So I didn't, that was my kind of the first time in my life where I was like, I could quit here and I didn't. So I uh, moved to high school. High school, my freshman year was was okay. A little bit, one of the better players on the team, but you know, gun, Palo Alto, gun high school. We're not, then we're not the sports high school in Palo Alto, if you will. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was pretty good for for what we had and who we, who we had. I was a little bit better. So I saw myself get better my freshman year. And it was my sophomore year where I kind of really took off and kind of really got comfortable in getting hit and playing against bigger players and whatnot and and felt more experienced. And so that I buoyed that into college football. That was always my dream. Uh, And I started off at the University of Hawaii my freshman year. So I went there and went through football camp. And I just realized pretty early on that Hawaii was a place I could survive in as a as a student athlete, <laughs> if you would say. At, at a at a very young age, impressionable age, I needed a more structured environment to thrive. <laughs> so I learned that very quickly. Grades weren't very good. Loved the football part of it, but uh, and loved the beach too much, and <laughs> and so uh, all the other great sights and things you could see at Hawaii. And um, came back. I went to Foothill College for two years and uh, excelled at football there, and then I ended up going, it to, going to Utah State, where I finished my, uh, my final two years of college.
1: Outstanding. And you were a
0: star-wide receiver there at uh, Utah State? I was. I was named the, the top-wide receiver in the school or on the team that, that for my senior year, yeah.
1: And you were good enough that you had some professional dreams as well, that uh, you at least had a chance to pursue at some, at some level, right?
0: Yeah. So I uh, had the opportunity to work out for a number of teams Uh, for about two years after college. I I tried, tried out, bounced around Oakland Raiders, San Francisco 49ers, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets. And at that point, I I figured, you know, actually, one part I didn't mention is is at, at 17 years old, I had a daughter. And so two years out of college, I kind of figured that it was time to kind of settle down, not chase my dream anymore and really start to focus on kind of, you know, getting a career and making some more solid money and not bouncing around so much and kind of being more present. So I decided to to hang up the Cleats. I had my opportunity, which is all I wanted. Um, I had a chance, and so which is better than most people get. And yeah, it was a great opportunity. I met a lot of great people and had a lot of great experiences.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Were, Were there some particular skills you feel like you learned from your experiences in football that are translatable over to other parts of life?
0: Man, everything. I'm a huge proponent—not just football, but team sports in general. I think you learn a lot, uh, particularly at a young age. But you know, I learned about competition, how to compete, right? How how to compete. You're always competing, and I take that with me everywhere. I mean, in Vector, in the sales job, you're in competition, right? So and so, just knowing how to compete and, and, and how to prepare for competition, and just kind of a compet- competitive mindset. I um, mean, not being scared of scared of competition. I think. That was something that really resonated with me when it came to football skills, but also teamwork, learning to work with others, super important, right? And you don't like all your teammates. <laughs> you don't love all your teammates, right? But you have to figure out a way to make it work and be one cohesive unit, right? And so that's in any walk of life. When you have teams, whether you're at worker or, or not, you have to be able to work with other people that from different backgrounds, you may not get along with, or, or you may get along with, and you just got to make sure it works, right? So how to navigate that? Trust. You know, in football, one of the things you have to do is is great football players. What happens sometimes for them where they make mistakes is they tend to want to cover for the next guy because they're so good. In football, you can't do that because you cover for the next guy, then you leave someone wide open, and there's a touchdown, right? So it's a breakdown. So you have to trust the guy next to you. So I think just learning to trust people, I think is 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 a big part of it. Leadership, of course. I was a captain on most of my team that I've been on, so how to lead different in different styles, different ways. I was I tended to be. The more vocal leader, I wasn't the quiet kind of lead by example. I was the vocal, you know, rile you up, right? Passionate speeches. That was kind of, was kind of my, my way to lead. And then I would say sacrifice, of course. You always had to sacrifice for your teammates. Sometimes it's not about you. Sometimes it's about the next guy. I can think of my linemen, right? Like They're always sacrificing for the quarterback, the receivers. They make everything else go and they get none of the glory, right? And so um, you have to learn sacrifice. And then dealing with adversity. I think at certain times in your life, you're always going to go through adversity. And I think in sports, you you deal with them all the time. You do not always win. We can't all be De La Salle and go on amazing four-year runs, right? <laughs> Most people lose at some point. And so you got to learn how to deal with that and how to uh, work through trials and tribulations that you go through throughout your life. So I think that's one of the big things is how to work through adversity.
1: Yeah. Y- you referenced De La Salle High School, which is here in the Bay Area that you know had this epic a string of, I don't even know how many victories it was, hundred and something, <laughs> 100 something yes. wins in a row and was a subject of a documentary that's pretty good. Uh, but it's not like that for for, for <laughs> most people. So, um, you know, I, I love what you shared so far just about uh, growing up and being able to learn how to navigate different types of situations with different types of people and being becoming comfortable around all different types of people and developing an appreciation for all different types of people. And then of course, you know, learning teamwork aspects from football. And it's interesting you talked about trusting people being learned from football. Cause that, that would not have come to my mind, but it really does make a lot of sense. And I, I saw all of these qualities in getting to know you once you came into vector that you were able to connect with anyone anytime. You were a great teammate. You were willing to sacrifice and help others. Like you developed a real great package of skills and qualities as a young person that made you really excel you know, once you came to Vector. How did you hear about uh, CutCone Vector? Oh, man. <laughs> so the funny thing about CutCone Vector is I, I
0: interviewed three times for the job. So at three different times, I think it was three, might've been three different years, actually. But I want to say, I don't think I was a mailer. I, I always, I think, was just looking at Craigslist, looking on the internet for a job at some point to make some extra income. And, and Vector kept popping up. But I guess I think it was the Whatever, at the time it was like $16 an hour or something like that. And then uh, by the time the third time came around, it was like $18 an hour. I was like, you know what? (laughs) Let me go ahead and take it. And so I think, yeah. So I was always at the time looking for a job. And it was, yeah, it was crazy. I interviewed three times. So it was, yeah, (laughs) it was an interesting
1: experience. And then ultimately, it was like, it was a friend of yours, Diana, that, that was, you know, that gave you the nudge to actually follow through, right?
0: Yeah. So the third time, I was in a place in my life where, so after college, I was very focused on at-risk youth. I really cared about how I could impact the youth and that came from backgrounds that were rougher than mine. And so at the time, I opened my own business, um, working with at-risk youth, and then the recession hit. And so a lot of the kids that I wanted to impact, the families I wanted to impact, couldn't afford it, and some of the richer families could afford it. So I needed a job that was flexible enough for me to be able to Still work with those kids that were at risk, but I could give them scholarships based on what I was doing through another job that was flexible. And Cutco was kind of that avenue for me. And then I remember, yeah, speaking to Diana about it, and, and Diana said, "Oh, I'd worked for Cutco before, or Vector before, or something like that." And she was like, "Just give it a try, give it a shot." And I was like, "All right." And without nudge, that little extra push from someone that I trusted and knew. Uh, that made me say, okay, you know what, Let, let's, let's just take it serious this time and do it.
1: Awesome. Awesome. So then you came in, you were trained, uh, in the San Jose office by Lori Oberst, right now Lori Blass. And you, you went out, you came out of the gates and did one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. This was December of 2010. Uh, and you sold $36,317 in your first 10 days working in the company, which is a record that stood for like seven or eight years. And in this day and age where standards are increasing every year and prices increase every couple years, uh, there are very few records that stand for very long in this company. But uh, you did something that was really remarkable and, and stood for a long, long, long time and, and maybe has only been broken by two or three people since then. What were some of the keys to your record-setting
0: start with the company? Once I said, I'm going to do it, I think after that conversation with Diana, I said, if I'm going to do it, then I'm just going to do it. I'm going to go full, you know, jump in both feet, eyes wide open, and do whatever they told me to do and just go for it. And I I literally, my plan was, I'll do it for these 10 days, win these cool prizes, and I'll be done. But I I said, if I'm going to do that, then I want to go 100% just make it happen. And so I did that. I said, for 10 days, I'm going to buckle down and just make Cutco Vector my priority. And I went all out. Most people, regardless of what their skill set is, they don't give it everything they have the first when they start. They kind of feel it out a little bit. And then generally a little bit down the road, oh, this, this is a really good program. It will work for me. And then they kind of figure it out. And there's very few, when, when, when people break these records, it's those, those few that just say, I'm just going to trust what these people are saying, and it's going to work and go all out and do it. And then magical things happen. Right. And so that's kind of the difference. And and, and it's, I don't think there's a, again, there's no magic kind of magic to it. It's some reps just say, just connect. So just connect connect early and say, I'm just going to go for it. I'm scared. I'm terrified. I don't want to have these conversations. I don't want to be on the phone. I don't know if I can sell, but I'm just going to do it anyways and just trust that it will work out. And then what will happen What will happen. And then, T- typically magical things happen because you're booking so many appointments that even if you're terrible at selling people end up buying right because it's such a great product and so that's the thing that i would that i really recommend for, for people is just put all those fears that side and just go for it and whatever happens happens
1: yeah be- i seem i seem to recall you doing something like 64 appointments yep. in those 10 days and then the very last day you had a, a- big ton of like phone orders in addition. And I know you sold like 9,000 something the last day, but I love what you said about, you know, being willing to just put your fears aside and go for it. Because I think one of the most important reasons why a lot of people come to work in Vector in the first place is for the personal growth and is to expand their comfort zone. And if that's one of the purposes of why people are working in the in this company, it just makes sense for them in the moment when they realize like, oh man, I'm a little afraid of this, or this is a little uncomfortable. It's important for them in the moment to remind themselves, well, that's why I'm here. right? That's exactly why I'm here. So I need to press through this because there's learning on the other side of this fear. There's learning on the other side of this challenge right? or on the other side of this adversity. So that's such a valuable lesson or concept that I think is a uh, critical uh, that you can share. What other lessons do you feel like you learned from your Vector experience that uh, you've carried over to your career to this day? The thing that I
0: love about Vector the most is the people. I mean, at the end of the day, I, I mean, and, and it was funny. I, was, I mean, as you know, we were at the Hall of Fame in Las Vegas a couple uh, last weekend. And Rebecca commented, sent me a text said, hey, you know, you look really happy here. You look like you're having a good time. And you like these people. and You really enjoy it. In this environment and so and for one of the people that knows me probably knows me the best to say that is profound right it's, it makes a, a heck of an impact and so i think for me the thing that i love about vector is the culture and the camaraderie and just the people i that's that's the thing that always brings me kind of back and in, in why i'm always kind of happy when i'm in that environment and when I see those uh, people, I think the biggest thing that I took away from Vector was you learn about yourself, man. It's one of those jobs that you learn about you. You will learn about what you're scared of. You will learn about what you're good at. You will learn about what you're not good at. You will learn how much BS you really are full of. <laughs> uh, because it forces you to look yourself in the mirror. It forces you to have conversations with yourself and pretty honest conversations with yourself. You know, if I'm not selling, why am I not selling? If am I am I not good on the phone? Why am I not good on the phone? Am I I'm, all these fears that are coming up that you may not have been aware of that you're afraid of, right? All these skills that you didn't know you needed that you don't have, right? There's so many things that I feel like you really learn, like, and your manager will tell you, man, I've heard that excuse before. You're you're full of BS right now. Right. And so I think I think that's The biggest fear for people at Vector is is they learn about themselves. I think that's the biggest reason why people leave before they kind of reach their full potential is they start to learn some things they don't really like to know about themselves, right? Hmm. I can tell you there was a challenge. There was plenty of challenges that I learned about myself through Vector. Just having to look myself in the mirror and look at my results and you know look at the processes that I'm going through. I know as a manager there, I learned how to be a better salesperson because I was managing other sales reps, bad sales reps. Good sales reps. I knew I saw what they were doing, what, what they were doing, and what they weren't doing, what I was doing, what I hadn't been doing as a, as a rep, right? And so I learned all those things at Cutco. And so I think that's to me. Yeah. You learn, you learn negotiating skills. You learn how to sell. You learn all these great tools that you need for your tool belt. But the biggest thing is, is I think you learn what a community is like, a real, a, a healthy, strong community is like, and you learn about yourself. Good and bad, you learn about yourself. And so I think that those are the, the, the couple of things that, I, that really stand out to me.
1: Yeah, that's cool. The whole idea of the community that you're a part of and, and how that feels being a part of that. Uh, and, and of course, you know, one of those reps that you helped train in your summer as the division office manager is the reason why we were in Vegas here uh, recently, right? To see Kyle Lopes to uh, be inducted to the Cutco Vector Hall of Fame, first college student. To ever get into the Cutco Vector Hall of Fame. And uh, you and I were there his first summer as a sales rep to see him, you know, blossom and develop over the last uh, seven years has been pretty amazing. I, I really love what you said about learning about yourself. And, and in particular, you said the skills you need that you don't really have, right? Realizing the skills you need in life that you don't really have. I, that's one of the reasons why I started this job in the first place. Because in my interview, before my interview, I felt like I was very shy as an individual. And I didn't have very good people skills at all. Um, I was not one of the cool kids in high school. And um, sitting in my interview, I th- as I saw what the job was all about, I-, I first thought to myself, well, I don't know if I can do this. And then the more I considered it as I was waiting at the end of the interview to meet with the manager, the more that feeling turned into... You know, I need to do this. This is exactly what I need in order to be able to gain the skills that I know I need to be successful in life. I realized even at that young age that there were a wide range of skills I had to develop if I wanted to be successful in life. And I saw this as a great vehicle for developing exactly those skills. And of course, the people that we get to be around in Vector is an immense, immense benefit to a lot of young people just being, being able to witness, you know, the kinds of people that we want to become like the leaders that we want to become like, and all the qualities that we want to be able to emulate in them. So, really cool stuff uh, there from your vector experience, Kenny.
0: No, it was real cool. I mean, I learned, I learned that money didn't drive me. Like that's, it was, it was crazy. Like I felt like, like money was something that I really cared about. And after I became uh, the the after I ran the fair and show program, I think Mike mentioned it in his in his um in his uh Hall of Fame speech. Um, I was giving up shifts uh, because it wasn't, I didn't care about the money. It, like it, it got to the point where I realized that money didn't drive me. And it was more about, I want to see Mike succeed. I want to see Kyle succeed. I want to see these other, these other guys in this organization, these, these um who, who may have, who, who struggled more than I did. I mean, almost everyone walks through the door struggled more than I did when I started. Right. So <laughs> I like to see the growth of where they've come from watching Mike Go from what he was when he started to what he is today was fascinating. Watching Kyle, the snot kid when he started to what he is today and the man he's become, I think it, that's amazing. And I found out in my journey through um was that I cared more about other people succeeding than I cared about my own income, personal income. But the people and the the impacting people and the skill sets and. and Able to have so much impact on others, I think to me was such an amazing thing. I learned about myself that I actually enjoy. I mean, I love the fact that I'm not that money. Does, I'm not beholden the money. That it gives me so much freedom because I now do things that I want to do. That's not that does not have to do with money. I do things that I, for the most part, want to do. I mean, so. That was something that, that a lesson that I really learned that I really, really impacted me greatly. Under.
1: Yeah, you know, I've always taught people that one of the most important keys to leadership is a, a concept that I call a GAS, A-G-A-S. And I think, you know, it stands for actually give a shit and that the greatest leaders, they really actually truly do care about the individuals in their organization. And one of the things that's a paradox about that is that that care circles back and benefits the leader in in ways that you know provide advancement and financial benefits and all the other things, along with the personal satisfaction and legacy of impacting people. And you always have displayed that, and it's something that clearly you've had since uh you know uh, an early age in your life. You're known as an expert networker, and I, I'd love to dig into a little bit of this concept and just find out what what do you think are some of the keys to making connections with people, and building relationships?
0: One of the biggest things for me is, is being authentic. I'm generally, I, I, I'm honestly curious about people. So I was a sociology major, psychology, also a psychology major as well. Like, so so I, I've always kind of had this fascination of, about people. And I think part of that's how I grew up, just growing up with different, around different cultures. And I'm a quarter Asian, so you know, just knowing all these different cultures and how they all move a little bit differently, and also have a lot of the same characters as well. So I think just being authentic. I'm authentically curious about other people, and so I will ask questions. So I'm very interested in them. And so when you're networking, you know it's it often has to be about the other person. If it, if you really want to want to maximize your network, it has to be about the other. And so I'm curious about the other. It's not about me. It's not. I'm not necessarily networking for me. While at the end of the day, there is a. There is a motive for me to know more people and have this large network. There's a benefit for me. But for me, it's really not about if I get a benefit, great. But it's more about I want to know who this person is, what their background is, what do we have in common. And very often I'll listen to Fox News because I like to hear opinions that don't match up with mine, that don't align with mine. So I like to have dialogue. I like to have different debates. I mean, I like to hear other perspectives. And so I think that all kind of lends me to. Just being more personable and open to having communications. Now, there's people in my life who will tell you, Kenny, that Kenny sometimes you, I give a standoffish vibe, and that's absolutely true. There's certain environments that I'm not in a networking kind of vibe. But for the most part, I am very curious about other people, so I ask a lot of questions. I think that's something that's really important about networking and being genuine about it. I'm like asking questions about something that's not that you don't care about. Is I, I know a lot. I see a lot of people do that <laughs> just because they know that maybe that's the topic that that person cares about. But it's just like you know, there's things that you are really honestly curious about that you should be asking about, right? And I think that really shows out in the way that you ask. And I and I think that transfers over to Cutco, right? So when you're when you're selling to a Miss Jones, when you believe in Cutco the product, Miss Jones believes in the Cutco the product, right? So you, you're authentic about what you're selling. And so for the same thing with networking, you're authentically selling yourself. You're authentically asking these questions. I think that's so important because all, so many people meet so many people. So who stands out to them? Why are you going to stand out, right? And generally it's because there's something compelling about you that stood out, right? Whether maybe you asked a lot of great questions, right? Maybe you read a book about them and you brought something up, remembered something that they didn't, you know, that they didn't realize that you would remember about them, right? Just things like, little things like that, I think are very important. And then, you know, I think, That it's just make it about your about them. Right? So one of the questions I always ask when I'm networking and I have like maybe have a a follow-up meeting, it's it's not what can you do for me? It's hey, is there anything I can do for you? Please let me know if there's anyone, you know, if there's anything I can do for you, let me know. You know, shoot me an email, reach out, someone I could introduce you to, right? What can I do for you? And generally that leaves it open because you are actively making it about them that when you do need that favor, that it will be open. It's not always, hey. You know, can you give me this? Hey, can you give me that? It's, it's a more of a relationship and not you just taking, right, about you. So those are the two big things. The two big things for me with networking is, is making sure that you are authentic, making sure it's about them. And then I think the last point I would say is, it's just follow up, right? Follow up. E- even if it's just a check-in, right? I've often gone out and said, you know, if, if I know someone went to Michigan State, and Michigan State's on, and have a big win. I'll say, hey, I saw your boys won. Congratulations, right? I haven't talked to this person in months, maybe a year. But I'm just making sure they know I'm still around and still aware of them just so they know that I'm still in contact. If they ever need anything, let me know, right? But anything just to stay in contact, it's the same thing with... I mean, great cuckoo reps will tell you the same thing. They'll tell you that that they are not only calling their customers just to sell. They are checking in on their customers just randomly. Hey, happy birthday. Just want to wish you a happy birthday just so I remembered you, right? They're doing that because that's what it, it's for. A long-term relationship, you have to foster that relationship over the course of time. It doesn't just happen, right? Um, meeting them once, right? So that's the biggest thing I would say. Those three, those three points.
1: Yeah, those are some great ideas, right in there. Just the, that authenticity is a, is certainly one of the first keys. To building relationships and then of course that that curiosity you described the sincere interest i mean this goes all the way back to the days of dale carnegie you know sharing and how to win friends and influence people that it's sincere interest genuine interest uh, that that makes that difference and and you're great at asking really good questions when you get to know people and you have a wide range of knowledge and i like what you said about you know deliberately exposing yourself to information that might be outside of your beliefs because that does give you more of a perspective of what other people think. And uh, and, and you're always somebody that I feel like is, has demonstrated a great perspective and understanding of people. Let's talk about your folks for a while, because uh, right. I admire your parents a ton. Uh, they are icons in the Silicon Valley community. Your mother is the former chairman of the Board of Dignity Health, which is a multi-billion dollar health organization. And she's an executive coach to many throughout the Silicon Valley. Your father was a long time vice president at Hewlett Packard. He was the COO at Silicon Graphics. Uh, he's been part of the founding team of a number of companies and on the boards of many companies and coached a lot of top executives here in the Silicon Valley, including Ben Horowitz at uh, Andreessen Horowitz. So he is beloved and your mom as well, just beloved throughout the Silicon Valley community. Uh, what are some of the observations you could share with our audience to kind of lend an insight into what has made your mom and dad so successful?
0: I mean, I owe everything that I am to them. I mean, they're, they're two my best friends. They are amazing individuals. Every person that encounters them or encounters me speaks about how amazing they are. And I think a lot of the things I spoke about today have they've reinforced by their action. Like I said, my mom and dad took in my best friend who was from East Palo Alto, in and out of homes, not the best situation, you know, when he was six, seventeen, So they didn't have to do that, but they did, right? They were the main fundraisers for the East Palo Alto YMCA. They never lived in East Palo Alto. They didn't have to do that. You know, they've supported Barack Obama. I mean, they've done all kinds of amazing things, right? And you don't get to have Barack Obama and at your house and, right, and without... Having done some great things, right? Build playing in your house without having some done some great things and building some great relationships. And so I think one of the things, you know, my dad has always taught me about networking and a lot of lessons about networking are come from him. You know, make sure it's about them, right? He's the best networker in the Bay Area. I would tell you, I, I mean, anyone would say that, that he's the godfather. I mean, right. So being selfless, right? Always giving back. They've always been genuine. Uh, my parents have, man, us kids have put them as all kids have put them through some very rough situations and they've never given up. They've never quit on any of us. Right. And so I think that like, if I could be like them, like that would be, I'd be satisfied because they're very selfless. They're very giving. I've heard my mom t- 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 receive phone calls and from, from panicked friends and just say, what can I do for you? But I mean, I just calmly, what can I do for you? Right. And so I think I mean to me they're perfect, right? <laughs> so but, they, but they, everything I've talked about, they've had those skills. They've made impact on other people's lives. They've been selfless. They've invested in in other people and other organizations that they don't need to be. They're not they're not part of. They've uh been there for their friends. They've uh had you know great conversations and built these great relationships off networking just by being uh by being there for others, right? So and they've always worked their way up. I mean, my dad was from Centralia, Illinois. He, you know, wasn't wasn't rich. Uh, he, he, I, he didn't grow up like I did. The very opposite, actually. And he worked. He was all about work, work, work. He believes like and there's nothing. Uh, it's, it's it's cliche, but no substitute for hard work. But even with all the hard work and all those accolades, you know, he has been very humble, and he's been always forgiving, always giving to others. So so people gravitate towards him, and they. You know he's great. Got some really great friends, and I've I've been a benefit a beneficiary of a lot of that. So absolutely,
1: yeah. I really wish everybody who's listening to this could get a chance to meet your parents someday. I know that's not possible, but uh, your dad he said a few times over the last couple of years that he's working on a book, and whenever that book comes out, you can count on me to be passing that thing out to a lot of people because <laughs> uh, I count your dad as one of the most significant mentors in my life. Even though you know I haven't I've only known him since uh, maybe uh, you know after about one or two years after you started or something like that. and um, But uh, but have definitely enjoyed the time I've been able to spend around them. Kenny, tell us about what you're doing with Jopwell today. Jopwell is the leading career advancement platform for Black, Latinx, Native American students and professionals.
0: Like, so really the idea is, really, really the story behind Jopwell is very much similar to my background, right? So my parents were were of African-American descent and they were living in the barrier, and they were great right in uh, the tech tech world. And so when I went off to college and came back, I... Had doors that would be open for me through them, through their networks. Many of my friends who aren't from the same, uh, ain't, aren't from Los Altos Hills like I am, they're from the other side of the tracks, don't have those networks. They would apply for jobs the regular way and they're not getting calls back, they're not getting jobs. And for the most part, you know, there's many different reasons on why that happens, but generally it's because people of from particular backgrounds just don't know the right people to get their resumes put to the top of the pile, right? And so, mm-hmm. That was frustrating for me as someone that was on the other side of the track, where I could get in any, any company I wanted to get into. Seeing others that were like me, led that were less fortunate, not being able to have those opportunities, was very frustrating to me. And so, Jopwell was kind of the vehicle that I found that kind of closed that gap, where you know we we could get um, we could really be the network of networks, right? For, for those candidates that don't have a network, that don't can't rely on you know someone knowing somebody to get them in the door. You know, we have relationships with these companies, right? And so we will help companies who need the help, who are looking for diversity. And most a lot of companies nowadays, particularly in Silicon Valley, are very much looking for more diverse candidates. Diversity makes organizations better. It's the data is very clear. Companies that are more diverse outperform companies that are less diverse. This is this is there's clear data that shows this. Um so there's a business case to be made for diversity as well now, too, right? So that was always kind of the pushback was, was there a, is there a business case? Well, there's a clear business case for diversity now. Obviously, there's better ideas, more not more ideas that come out from different backgrounds. I mean, you think about all the things kind of in the news today that have come out in the last year or so. I mean, you think about like Gucci, right? Who had, I think they had an ad that, that came out uh, that was uh, insensitive to African-Americans, right? It's hard for me to to say that if you had an African-American in the room, during that conversation that you might have a different perspective of, oh, maybe we shouldn't put that out there, right? And so, and I've seen that in different organizations. I see that and even now you're seeing at the board level now, a lot of companies in in California now, they've are they made it a priority that you have to have a female board member on your board. Why? Because I've seen many companies that are female focused, that have all male board members and they're making decisions for women without having any women woman input, right? So it's just things like that. Diversity makes companies better. It makes organizations better. It makes teams better. The reason why sports is so great is because you're bringing people from different backgrounds. Diversity is not just color. It's not just your creed, right? It's your where you're from. It's your education, right? If you're only hiring from Harvard, well, guess what? Your only your company's going to be Harvard. It's not going to be diverse. It's going to be Harvard, right? And so it's just it, diversity is in everything. And so I think when we think about diversity the United States was, is based on diversity. And so our workforce needs to represent kind of what the United States looks like for us to really truly be equal. And it doesn't. And it's clearly it doesn't. And there's a, a particular particular communities that it does not work for. And so I think that's the work that Joppa is doing. And that's the work that a lot of amazing companies are doing. And a lot of company organizations are taking note of now, nowadays. So that's the biggest thing for me with diversity.
1: Yeah, that's cool. You know, I love what you said about it's you know, creating a building and creating a diverse organization. It's not just the right thing to do because it's good for us to help people that, uh, you know, could use a little bit of a lift, but it's also profitable. It's also good for business. It's smart business to be able to have lots of different types of people in your organization. You know, I know our good friend, Clarence Wooten says, uh, you can't be what you don't see. Right, and that uh, if we want to be able to, uh, you know, have lots of different people succeeding in the organization, we need to create and, and have role models for all of them. And uh, and and I really respect that concept. And I know uh, your CEO uh, is Porter Breswell, and he has a book called "Let Them See You," which is all about uh, the ways in which people from underrepresented minorities can put themselves in a better position to advance in their careers, as well as uh, set an example for other people. What do you think are a couple of the key habits? that the best leaders or the best organizations have that foster diversity and inclusion? I think the leadership, it has to start from the top. Just from my experience, uh, you know, if, if leadership
0: isn't focused on diversity, then it's hard for the rest of the organization to kind of buy in. You may have pockets here and there that buy in, but if, if it does not come in from the top, it's not a top-down initiative, it's very hard to, to reinforce. You know, If the, if the leaders at don't, B don't care about it, it's hard for everyone else to care about, it, right? To make it a priority. So I think that's one thing. And two, I think the second thing, the biggest thing for me is, and, I, and I've had long conversations with my dad about this, is just, particularly in tech, what's really perplexing to me is in tech, it's all about the future and being innovative and taking risks. That's why all these startups happen, right? <laughs> They're all, bet on us, take the risk on us, right? They're very all about taking risks. But when it comes to the diversity problem, we have the same smart people, but it seems to be risk adverse to change, right? Because you want to focus on all talent, right? Which makes total sense. That's where we all want to be. I just focus on all talent, but you have to recruit different talent in different ways. And as you know, this from Vector, there's different segments. You have to recruit a different way. And so for diverse candidates, they have a different way they look at jobs than other candidates because of their experience. And so you have to recruit them different. And so you have to think outside the box and can't just be married to the same old traditional recruiting tactics. You've got to do different things. So I would encourage companies to just be, to think outside the box and to be more open to risk-taking because again, there is a business sense behind it. And if you do it right and your company is diverse, you will see your company grow Leaps and bounds. The data, the data shows it, and so you've got to be willing to kind of take that risk. Um, but I know it's it's different. It's not the traditional recruiting process. You have to focus on this particular segment of the population, right? So it's just a little bit different. But you got to be. That's the way you got to be. You Got to be radical about
1: it. Yeah, that was cool. That was good stuff, Kenny. I appreciate it. So listen, Kenny. Just uh, in wrapping this up, our our podcast is called Changing Lives, Selling Knives, and I'm just interested in hearing as you look into your own future? Uh, how do you aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence? Um, I, I,
0: I don't know. <laughs> let's, let's start there. But I know that's what I want to do. I know that one of the things that I would add that Vector showed me about myself was I learned that I care about other people and I care about impacting other people. And at the end of the day, I think that's what I care about the most. I've always thought about getting into public speaking. Opening my own nonprofit, but I know that my life is going to revolve around helping others do better than I am, do better than I than I have done to achieve greater things.
1: Well, whatever it is you end up doing uh, as you progress uh, into your future, here you can count on me as a supporter for sure. I just have so much admiration for you, Kenny. Uh, you know when I talked about that principle of a gas, like I've always known that you're somebody that really cares about others, gives a shit about the world and about people. And I have so much respect and love for you and uh, just really proud to be able to have had this medium to introduce you to so many people from the Cutco Vector community. And I appreciate you taking the time to be on the podcast today.
0: No, I appreciate it. You know, Dan, one of my best friends as well. You know, I'm, uh, reason why I'm, you're always around is because, man, I... I keep you around because I, you know, I enjoy your perspective and everything that you've done and the way that you've impacted so many individuals through Vector. I think it's amazing. So this, I think this podcast is amazing. Dan, they call you the man for a reason. So anything you ever need from me, of course, sir, I'm always here. I appreciate you and uh, keep changing lives.
1: All right, let's do that. All right, take care. That was my good friend, Kenny Coleman. Pretty cool uh, to be able to hear about Kenny's background growing up as one of the very few African-American families in Los Altos Hills, California, and the, uh, the, the concepts that kind of went into uh, what he was a part of, what he was exposed to uh, through that process. Things he learned from football, pretty cool ideas there that came out. I really love the lesson he shared from his vector experience that you learn about yourself. And what I would really suggest to you is that some of those times, what you learn about yourself is going to be painful. It's going to be, you're going to look at your results and say, well, I guess I'm learning that I need more if I want to be successful in life. And what's key is that you have a chance to learn these things now when you're young versus learning them when you're 30 or 40 or 50 or someplace else in the marketplace. And some people, when they struggle in vector, they choose to leave. And go somewhere else. And one of the lessons I've always taught people is that wherever you go, you're still there. And if you haven't been able to learn and develop the qualities of success in a place like Vector, where you have an immense amount of support and encouragement and a program that's relatively simple to follow, good luck succeeding in other places because it's only going to be harder. So take that concept to heart. Kenny, of course, is a great networker. The idea of authentic curiosity was an important point. Also, the idea in building diverse organizations that it's not just something we do because it's the right thing to do, but that it's actually beneficial and profitable and good for our businesses to have more and different types of role models. It's definitely something we can improve in Vector. And it's something that uh, I'm interested in improving. And I hope many of you listening are as well, whether you're part of this company or not. And I just want to end by saying uh, an observation on something Kenny said about uh, showing up at a Vector conference recently and um, his girlfriend, Rebecca, saying, hey, you look happy here. You know, we have something really great in this company. And if you're outside of Vector, I hope that you can create the Vector culture wherever you are. But if you're inside of Vector, Recognize how special what you have is and how important it is for you to be able to reach the success that you want here. Get what you want from this company. Stick around for a long time if you're here because there's a lot more to be had that you can get from it if you stay around as I have for so many years. It's worth it. You're in a good place at a good time. Thanks everyone for listening to the podcast today. Uh, hey, do me a favor and uh, hit tap the little five on the ratings. It really helps us to bring the podcast to more people. And also, if you write a written review, that'll be much appreciated there on your iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else. Uh, Written reviews on iTunes or Apple Podcasts especially are helpful. Thanks, everyone. Have an awesome rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.